try to whine me. Baby, no go mind them, just be whiny. So me say, Jawa, Jawa. Look into my eyes, oh baby, Jawa. Will you be my wife, oh baby, Jawa? Baby, oh yeah, raga, raga, raga for me, Jawa. Hey, everybody. This is AJ, and this is the Unnecessary Podcast. The Unnecessary Podcast is just a free-flowing conversation amongst friends. I have various people in my life to come on to talk about everything from music to politics to philosophy to life memories to life goals and everything in between. Right now, we're listening to Davido, a song called Jowo. Uh, Davido is an African artist. I think he's from Nigeria, but I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, today's guest on the Unnecessary Podcast is my good friend from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Alex. Oh, no. Alex. Good morning. Oh, by the way, I can I can erase your full name. I shouldn't have done that because we're going to talk about stuff. about that. Yeah, I'll erase it. I'll just go boop. <laughs> Alex, boop. That's me. Yeah. Well, Thanks hey. Hey, man. Thanks for joining the show. Um it's, Thanks for having me on. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I know. It's been a long time coming. It's January 17th, 2021, and I think it was like 11 days ago, there was uh, a coup attempt at the U.S. Capitol building. Are, do you remember that? Do I remember that? Yeah, do you remember? I, I heard about it. What were your thoughts that day? What's that? What's that? What were your thoughts that day as it was happening? I think calling it a coup attempt puts a lot more weight on it than it was. I think things like uh, the question of whether or not our president colluded with a foreign power to come into office is a much more serious uh, attack on the American political system than a bunch of people rioting. I think that, yeah, it was a bunch of people rioting and there were a lot of people who behaved poorly, made poor decisions and should, you know, receive some consequences for their actions. But I think that, man, I think that looking at this like it was a coup attempt is just, it's kind of extreme. And it also puts weight on something that is generally negative and furthers the cause of at least division in this country, if not direct intention of someone or some group of people to cause more chaos and struggle. That's a great point. The the weird like fine line um, or, or debate between like how do we um, avoid division versus how do we like directly call something out with great prejudice? Um, yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing we, we gotta, if you are cognizant and aware enough to, feel upset by these things, but not be overwhelmed by emotion and, and try to think about this like a problem that needs solved. You have a responsibility to work towards ending this division. It's okay to have opinions. It's good. It's good to stand up for what you believe in, and both sides need that. I think that, that everyone has a, a right to that, but we also have a responsibility to stop making this a fight because, because you personally, whatever your opinion is, mm you're you're being manipulated. It might not be the Illuminati or uh, a president of the United States or a shadowy organization behind them, but you're being manipulated to see that person who disagrees with you politically and socially as your enemy, and they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a good 
point and something I need to think more about because I do believe it was a coup attempt, but um, it reminds me of this old saying, like, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? And so like, regardless of whether it was a coup or attempt or not, like what is the best avenue for me to help uh, people who I believe are brainwashed to like evolve? And is it best for me to tell them that like you're fully brainwashed and whether you know it or not, you were involving yourself in a coup attempt on the, on the elected government. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my feeling, but I'm, maybe I shouldn't lead with that if I'm trying to change somebody's mind. What's, what does a coup attempt look like? Because we've seen examples of these in other countries. You know, what is a race riot? Because that's not what happened when uh, people on the other side of this line got out in the streets, you know, right. earlier this year or last year. That wasn't right. a race riot, and this wasn't a coup. They they didn't have rifles. They weren't. Uh, they a, did. They did have guns. There were IEDs. There well, were there were pipe bombs. No, no. <laughs> you have you never met my family? These guys carry into Walmart. Like yes. Yeah, I mean that's but it, but that's the was, thing. Like it that's what makes it a coup. so a coup by definition. Concealed carrying is always a member of a militia by that sort of mentality. No, no, no if somebody conceals and carries and breaks into the Capitol building with the intent of stopping the election certification, that's a coup. That's like the definition of a coup. A coup is a sudden Can violent have a coup. If you broadcast it on Twitter and like Instagram too, like there, there were pictures of these guys just like lounging in, you know, the offices of these people they hate and like leaving mean messages written on. Right. Because it was a poorly executed. They didn't have a good, a a social good plan media of attack. But it just, was masturbation. Well, no, it wasn't because there were elected officials who said, I mean, including the president who said like this election was stolen and quite frankly, we did win. So you have a pre- uh, the president Trump, Trump saying like we, we as in the oh, Trump, okay. the Trump 2020 uh, ticket won. And, and so you have like elected officials saying like this election was explicitly stolen And we Mm -hmm. need to stop um, this, stop the steal. And um, that stopping, like the quote unquote stopping part is the coup. So by definition, it is. And we've had them in our country. We had one successful coup in our country, which went about just like this. What's the background on that? Um, It's called the 1898 uh, insurrection of Wilmington, I think it's called. Um, but this isn't a Mormon thing, is it? No, no. It's called the Wilmington insurrection of 1898. And it was a mass riot and insurrection carried out by white supremacists in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898. Um, the white press in Wilmington originally described it as a race riot caused by black people, but it's actually a coup d'etat. It was the violent overthrow of an elected government by a group of white supremacists because they believed that the election was stolen from them. They believed that the votes were not real. They believed that the election was fraudulent and so a few thousand people stormed City Hall and expelled the elected mayor. The mayor had to go into exile, and a bunch of people were killed. Um, it was only 2,000 white men uh, overthrew the government, and s- over 300 people were killed. Um, and it's the only successful coup d'etat in our nation's history. And it happened because white people believed that the election was stolen from them. Um, and so they they took over the government. And that's what they wanted to do 11 days and ago. And by successful, you mean that the actions that they completed that day continued 
they were able to replace this elected official the way that they wanted. Exactly. The person who lost the election claimed to have won because of fraud. And that person was able to remain as the mayor of Wilmington for a full term. And so that's what, that's what, that's, that was the goal of the Trump supporters. Like, I don't understand how people don't get, how do you not get that? That was the goal of, of the Trump supporter. Even if they were like, we're just asking questions and we just want an investigation. The end goal was to make Trump president again. That's what would have happened. I I think, I think the way that it went through is so indicative of this whole thing. So I'm not going to disagree that that group of people didn't have the goal or desire to see their actions that day in the streets and into the Capitol building result in what they believed was the re-imagining, re-accuracy, re-correction mm-hmm. of this election. But how is a whole bunch of people running into a building going to do that thing? Right. Whether it's Whether it was a good plan or not doesn't, and and also whether the most participants realized they were trying whether to do a coup. Whether this person won or that, whether like, but it's all this aspect where we're taking things that are real, and I, I'm hesitant to use that word, but we're discussing things that, you know, are based in fact and have verifiable uh, proof and evidence, the number of ballots, the, the outcome of an election, the mm-hmm source of a global pandemic, the, uh, mm. the entities behind a terrorist attack on America. Like these are all questions where we can say, yes, these are real things, but it doesn't matter how much proof or evidence of these facts that we present. There are at least two sides on these issues now. Mm-hmm. And, and none of that changes what's actually fucking happening. We, did experience this election and it's caused a great amount of social disrest. Mm-hmm. We are dealing with a pandemic and regardless of why we're dealing with it, the exact same things are happening. We could prove that China absolutely created this thing. We could prove that it was actually Trump and he put together a cabinet of people to make a virus. <laughs> we could do anything and it wouldn't matter because half the people wouldn't believe it and we would still be dealing with these deaths. We'd still be dealing with however we try to fix it and make it better, the ways that we succeed or fail in doing that. Mm-hmm. None of that shit in the background actually matters. And I think that that's what we're seeing so much with all of this. We can have a country that is running, functioning, and, and arguably better than a lot of places in this world, and none of it lines up. Mm-hmm. The two sides don't agree on that thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and to your point before, like I don't, I don't know if it's beneficial for me to tell Trump supporters that they're that they were involved in a coup attempt, but I think it's important for you to understand that because you're not a Trump supporter. Like I think it's important for a- academics and intellectuals to understand that that was a coup attempt, even if most of the people storming the Capitol didn't weren't aware that that's what they were doing. Because first of all, most people storming the Capitol thought they were on the opposite side of a coup attempt. They thought that they were righteous and that yeah. and that Biden was the one enacting a coup attempt. So like nobody starts a war because they think they're the bad guy. Exactly. <laughs> Great point. Yes. But but Trump and Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, I do believe knew what they were doing. 
I don't think that they believe the stop the steal. I think they were being craven and pushing lies, which divided our country and, and caused like a conspiracy theory party, you know, which is fascism 101. Like Hitler was obsessed uh, I mean, with, with the occult and with conspiracy theories, like the big plot. That's like a, that's a hallmark of every fascist. The secret how, plot. How long before we stop looking at these like fascism and just start recognizing their structures of control? Uh, mm. That all, I don't know. Is there is there decent government out there in this world? I mean, my my scope is limited because I've only ever lived in America, but I don't think that I don't think I've seen power structures on large scales that are decent and care about their, their individuals. That's another great point. That's um, not their fucking yeah. job. Right. It's like a, a corporation. Sure. They're evil. I have all kinds of feelings about like major companies, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we made a, an algorithm and that algorithm's job is to feed in all of its inputs and output money. So if that money is, fake or that money damages the economy if that money tanks the business in some weird way in the future look at a subprime mortgage uh collapse it's still the job of that algorithm to chunk that out and then output that that end product Mm. we have governments and it seems like the end product of that thing is the continuation of whatever that ruling body is and Mm -hmm. the the other side is that there's at least two sides and they're both fighting for that same thing in whatever dark, nefarious, just generally unhelpful way that they want. Yeah. I, yeah. Another good point. I, I have a feeling that there has never been a quote unquote, well functioning power system, like a government power system, because as a socialist, I believe that when hunter-gatherer societies settled down into agricultural societies, I believe that there was exploitation right off the bat. I oh, think, immediately. Yeah, I think I think it's human. Na- it was human nature to, if you had resources to kind of hoard them and to mm-hmm. exploit those who did not so that you could we didn't, maintain. We didn't, and it's impossible to say we didn't because we're not there and mm-hmm. we're talking about like understanding how a different organism thinks. Mm. Mm-hmm. My understanding or my belief of it is that prior to agriculture and, and settling down, we didn't even view property mm-hmm. the same way. And I'm sure that it, if I had a favorite knife that I made I would and carried that thing on me, I would still, I feel like I would still think of that as mine. Mm-hmm. But but so so much of of the way that we think is based in this idea of having one place to live, a door that protects your stuff behind it, mm-hmm. and ownership of those things. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you're right. It seems like the agricultural shift allowed humans to become more individualized or more family oriented and less communal oriented. Like I if you look at current hunter gatherer tribes or, or societies now, it seems like they're heavily reliant on each other, which makes sense. Interesting, man. Mm-hmm. Um and and so yeah, I think I as a socialist, yeah, I don't I don't believe that we've ever had um a government that was overall like well-functioning. I mean, like the, the U S government in the 1940s and 1950s was incredible for economic reasons and for immigration reasons. However, there was redlining. So it was really bad for racial reasons. Like we've never had like, uh, uh, 
like home or um like where we choose to put people within the country to bind them into like areas. What do you mean redlining? Yeah. Redlining was like a practice done by mortgage companies, uh, mortgage lenders and realtors so that um, mortgage companies would not give loans to like bad neighborhoods. And conversely, they wouldn't allow black people to buy, to get mortgages in good neighborhoods. Um, So it created this like complete two worlds of white people having nice low interest mortgages in the suburbs. It was distinct. It was a decision made and and we're seeing the repercussions of it now. And not to, I don't know, even that idea, I think we're seeing a shift now where it's just becoming so impossible for, for the average American to purchase a home. We're looking at these policies that were once used racially and intentionally to keep uh, a certain people in a lower socioeconomic status. And now we're looking at something where they're viewing pretty much everybody who is in that 1% with as many options as possible to keep them down, to put them in a place, to deprive them of power and to keep them on a straight line of going and doing a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's getting harder and harder to have one job anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What's funny is back in the 1940s, it was actually easier economically to be a black person than today. Like, even though there was crazy racism and redlining and shit like that, the economy was so beneficial and so pro working class, um, like the tax structure and the incentives that black homeownership actually went up from the forties to the sixties before the fair housing act went into law. And, and, and like, because the economic, because economic systems are so, yeah, economic systems are so important. Um, it, it lifts up everybody. Um, but yeah, there's not, I don't, I don't think there's any government doing a great job in the world, but there are some governments, I think doing a, some, some interesting stuff. South Korea has universal basic income now, which is cool. I didn't fucking know that. Yeah, no, great. Future, man. I strongly believe that. I think that it is, it is sci-fi economics and it has to fucking happen. Yeah. And a, gr- a great wrinkle that they're doing is everybody gets a government issued debit card, essentially that gets loaded every month, but you have to use. Oh, sounds like the mark of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my God. The conspiracy <laughs> people are going to go fucking nuts. Please just tattoo that six, six, six on my That's forehead. Right. That's Give right. Give me that debit card. That's right. Um, scan me baby. But, um, the, the, the trick is you are, you are only allowed to use this card. It's only going to be functional within like a 50 mile radius of your, of your zip code. So like you have to purchase locally, which is so cool. Like you can't buy shit from Amazon and it, so it drives the local economy and it's just another way of breaking up taxes. It's also like a company script. You know this? No. Like if you worked in a, a mining town or something oh, and okay. the whole town is owned by JJ Cole Industries uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then they give you your paycheck and the paycheck is JJ Cole box. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of like a company town, but the government's the company. And that's the thing. Government can be, government's usually scary because um, the the Latin definition or translation of government is mind control. Govern is control and mente is mind, which sounds incredibly scary. Hmm. But in a democracy, the people are the ones who govern themselves. Like in a perfect democracy, every individual has a piece of determining where you go as a collective unit. Mm-hmm. And so in a democracy, you control your own mind, if you will. Um, you have kind of a hive mind. And that's why I'm such a big believer in democracy. Like I think governments are necessary, but 
democracy is the only way to ensure that your government is not controlling your mind in a bad way. I never heard that definite or that, that Latin translation. I think that's interesting. I can also, I like, I like two ways of looking at a thing. And I think that mind control, certainly one way, but also it is, it is the government itself is the mind. It's the thinking control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is an entity. Yeah. Like, like, like basic laws, like stop signs and stoplights. Like I, my, my behavior is being controlled by the government. I'm not going to run the stop sign because the government has told me that this is illegal. And, and we generally see that as a good thing. Um, but it gets scary, right? When you think about <laughs> prison labor camps or whatever, you know, like there's such I mean, a bad power, but any kind of power, we all want as much control over ourselves, our own power, our own agency and any, it's taken from you or forced upon you. It's, it's hard. It's yep. not, even if it's good. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And something I think is so interesting about us Americans is that we are um, seemingly more preoccupied with individualism and self-control than other countries or other cultures. Um, and, and this is reflected in like social surveys in terms of trust um, apparently like people in Norwegian or Scandinavian countries like Norway, uh, have some of the highest measurements of trust in, of any people in the world. And that's not only trust between people, like, do you trust your neighbor, but it's also like, do you trust your government? And, um, and apparently they have a much easier time. Like countries like Denmark have a much easier time rolling out like huge overbearing, you know, big centralized government things because people are like, we trust you. Like we have a democracy. We got this. But yeah. It's, it's a small country, a smaller population and they are, they're homogeneous. They all look the same and, and believe mostly the same things. There is, there is something to that. Um, when they're, uh, Norway and Sweden gets more immigrants and as they get, you know, they're now bringing in more immigrants per capita than the U S but also there is a rising anti-immigrant sentiment along with that because just just because they're Norwegian doesn't mean they're not human. So humans are yeah. going to have that thing. But but I do believe that can be taught um, out of us at a young age. You know, I think we could be socially constructed to not be so territorial. But I'm an optimist. I mean, yeah, it is optimistic and it's interesting. Um. I was listening to another podcast. And they were talking about how uh, America is unique in the way that we're a mixing pot. And a thing that I hadn't considered before is looking at what happens when, when you fuck with that quickly in another place. And mm. we look at things like, um, and, and I'm certainly not an expert in any of this, but the genocide in Africa mm. where it is based on quick changes in a government and redrawing of, uh, political and geographic lines and what ends up happening is we're putting two groups of people together and telling them now they're just one group of people and, and they don't like it and and violence erupts interesting and here in america the the argument they made in that conversation was that uh essentially we can do this here because we we all like so much of what we have we mostly can all eat we have entertainment a lot of us have jobs, though obviously that's been a little bit different over the past year. But it's these these aspects of civilization and a functioning uh, society that 
it keeps us from just going out in the street and killing people because they're not like us. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, to, to my concept of it, it's also the fact that it's been gradual. We've always, everyone in America, you know, who was born here has been born in this country that's been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. If, if it changed overnight, it would be a lot different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Um, and there are studies that show like if you grow up with somebody that looks brown and you're white, you're going to be more <clears throat> sympathetic towards somebody who has brown skin, like just being exposed earlier in life. So um, if you went your whole life being a Norwegian, only seeing Norwegians, all of a sudden you have a ton of Somalians in your neighborhood. Um, and also I place more responsibility on government leaders. Like I think, I think that social leaders um, <clears throat> are more capable of thinking clearly than like quote unquote regular people. And so I do think that right-wing politicians um, uh, manipulate people's inherent distrust in the other. And and I think Republican, uh, right-wing rather, politicians um, understand, are more cognizant of what they're doing and, and they're more craven yeah. in that they know Fear. that this is not Fear true, is but they will, tool. yeah, like they'll use it for political gain. And I think those are worse than the thousands of people who are just, regular racist, similar to like the Capitol insurrectionists, the, the coup attempt people. Like I have so much empathy for those who invaded the Capitol and, and enacted a coup attempt. I have much less empathy for Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley who know that this is bullshit and, and manipulated people's inherent distrust. Did you see Parasite? I think it came out 2019. No, but I would love to. I've heard great things. It's, it's really fantastic. And it's, uh, genre which i love when you're like it's not horror but it's not a drama it's genre it's weird it's interesting but it's a lot about class struggle and at one point one of the characters uh has a line it's the poor family hang out in the home of the rich family while the rich family's out of time mm-hmm. they're out of town and the poor husband says to the poor wife you know they're so nice and she says to him well, yeah they can afford to be this nice the, the people who are riding in the streets, whatever side they're on, they're hurting. They're hurting. They're at a disadvantage. They're not thinking clearly. Mm-hmm. They don't have all these uh, benefits. And there are people behind them who know this and are intentionally pulling that strings on both sides. Uh, it's about as close to evil as I think it gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And, in the mental health world, um, there's a new phrase called trauma-informed care. And okay. um, it's this like sweeping um, kind of paradigm shift in how humans view other humans. Um, and it relates to taking the red pill on free will, which I'd love to get into you about because I don't believe in free will. But um, the trauma-informed care model says that all, like essentially all fucked up or abnormal human behavior comes from trauma. Um, it, okay. com- it comes from either you had trauma in your childhood because you had some sort of neglect as a, as a small child, or you had some form of abuse as a small child or, or not even small child, but, or you maybe had a car accident as a teenager, like, and that can lead to like weird fucked up, like eating disorders and shit. And so, um, or addiction, you know, and so it's about viewing the human condition and, and abnormal personality traits as a result of trauma and, and, and the way that we care for that or the way that we treat that is to get at the trauma and understand like the emotional impacts. And I think it goes along with what you're saying about how 
like poor people in this country and, and the people on the political right and the political left, um, who are like angry, I think they are hurt, right? Like hurt people, mm -hmm. hurt people is a famous phrase. And, and I, yeah, I think there's a lot of trauma that's informed. What's the phrase? Uh, hurt people, hurt people. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. you, you don't, you don't mob the Capitol building if, if you're in a good fucking mood, if you're happy with your life, if you, if you're feeling good, mm -hmm. you, you know, my, my, uh, dad and my brothers are conservative. Mm. My dad is very conservative. Mm -hmm. And he asked me to watch his dogs that week. He's like, Hey, I got some plans. Would you be able to come up and watch the dogs for a couple of days? Yeah. And I actually had to like work and be in the office. So I couldn't, but he was being like cagey about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you guys are close. You're like, you're like, four hours. you're like four hours from DC, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I felt bad because it's kind of a side tangent, but, uh, around mid last year, you know, things are bad. Politics are weird. People are getting upset. My dad is a huge conservative media consumer mm -hmm. always on the TV, you know, uh, goes to the message boards, downloaded parlor as soon as it was a thing. Wow. And I said to him, dad, I'm worried because I think that you're consuming this at a level that is making you unhappy. And his response and what I've really taken to heart is that he said, I may be upset by, you know, this information that I get, but this is something I'm passionate about. I care about this thing. It interests me. Yeah. And from that point on, I've looked at it like I have no right to tell him don't watch Fox News because it's pissing you off. If he wants to watch Fox News and he knows it pisses him off or doesn't know and that's what he likes, fucking do it. I mean, it's... It, uh, in our conversations, you've helped me understand libertarianism a decent amount. And if I were to ascribe myself to two things, as I don't like ascribe myself to a thing, but like I'm on board with that, man. Mm -hmm. Heroin is scary as fuck, but that's your fucking decision. I think we should have more structures in place to help people understand the dangers of the things that they do. And I don't think that we should say, well, there are no speed limits. You can drive 120 miles on a residential neighborhood road but stop telling people what they can and can't do mm. with themselves. Mm. It's all, make it all legal. Yeah. And, and also there's a time and a place. Like, I do think that it could be appropriate to tell your dad and stop fucking watching that shit, but it might not be appropriate at that time. You might know that he's not going to receive that well. And, and if, again, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And, and happiness would ultimately be him stopping that behavior. But I would, I think that in that moment, you're thinking like me telling him isn't going to fucking change his behavior. And it might even make him less likely to change his behavior. I think I, I actually disagree with you on a fundamental level about this idea. Okay. I think that parents should adjust the behavior of children. Mm. And I think that, uh, that established structures like a, uh, uh, corporate structure of a boss that boss should tell you what to do mm -hmm. we have laws and rules and the responsibilities that come with that they have a responsibility to be good to the citizens that they police and citizens have a responsibility to be a, a member of society that follows these rules yeah aside from these specific structures don't fucking tell anybody what to do ever if you need to adjust someone's behavior you need to consider your relationship with them and i i i been aware of this and, and paying more attention in like romantic relationships. Uh -huh. If you think that what you need to do is tell that person to be different or change how they're doing, or you're working with a coworker and you don't like 
you know, what they're doing, figure out why you have this relationship with this person and, and what that means to you. Do you, do you need them to behave differently so that you can remain in this relationship? Do you need to consider why you're upset by this thing and how you need to change how you think and feel to deal with that? I see, and, and I'm sure that I'd be interested to be proven wrong, but I, I can pretty much argue that no relationship in my life should I be telling that person how to live, what to do, or how to feel. Yeah, interesting. I I think that's such a, it's I, in many ways, for me, it's an unanswerable question in many ways mm-hmm. um, because uh, it's almost like a paradox. Like if I believe that changing someone else's behavior will make the world better, like let's say I want to convince my mom to compost, okay. um, that I think empirically would make the world better. Like trees would be super happy if we got can, that. Can I throw this one in there then? Yeah. Who the fuck are you to decide what makes the world better? Um, I, I feel like it's my karmic responsibility, um, based on like how lucky I have been in my life. Um, I think it's, I think I owe it to the world. Um, because the world has given like, um, have you ever heard of the grateful dead song? You are the eyes of the world. Or it's a, no, I haven't. It's a quote from a grateful dead song. I think the song's called eyes of the world, but, um, after doing psychedelics, I've come to understand that like, um, for me, every little thing in, on the earth has its own purpose. Like the trees are kind of like the lungs of the earth. The tree's job is to provide oxygen and also to house tons of things. Trees are incredible. Um, and it's kind of like the water's job. The water's kind of like the blood of the earth. Like the water, like the rivers look like veins and water, kind of carries uh, things through, through the earth. Um, right. And so the role of humans, I believe is to be the eyes of the world is to like observe all of this, um, and to really appreciate it. Um, and so I think my goal is to have other people appreciate the world, um, appreciate the trees and the flowers like before they die, because I think that's our role as humans. Um, and so I do think it's my duty to like try and, change people however um maybe not like maybe i'm fucking totally wrong (laughs) and maybe and i could be misguided um and also me trying to change the world doesn't necessarily mean that the world will actually be changed sometimes not trying changes the world the most sometimes going in the forest and meditating changes the world the most so you i don't know all the answers so i kind of agree with you um that i shouldn't necessarily try because I don't know whether that's going to work or not. I don't know the future. So I've been, you know, Alan Watts, I think I've brought him up to you before. Yeah, love Alan so, Watts. okay. Uh, I've been listening to an Akira the Dawn album who takes uh, a lot of like interesting intellectual people's recordings and then puts them to like lo-fi kind of music. But mm. I've been like listening on repeat to this Alan Watts album that he does. And essentially uh, Watts is talking about self-improvement and how it's, in the very least uh, a futile attempt and at times a scam, because if you're trying to improve yourself, uh-huh. then the person doing that improving is the one with the flaws <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sort of, it, it's very reductionist. Like, um, I think therefore I am, you know, Descartes saying, I can't believe anything except that I have these thoughts. And Watts's argument is essentially you can't 
trust anyone to give you these answers to make you a better person, mm-hmm. whether it's, uh, you know, you follow a guru or a religious, you know, view or even his own words or whatever these things are mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're trying to improve something from a flawed standpoint. Mm-hmm. And if he does give any sort of advice or like a, what's the answer to the thing, it's observe spend less time trying to change things and more just seeing them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of interesting. I think that I can't argue with you, man, composting, recycling. I don't see anything negative from these, but I mean, you could extrapolate. Maybe people live longer on this planet and then they spread to the rest of the universe and kill it. And therefore Mm -hmm. the recycling we did destroyed the entire universe. Right. I mean, there's always going to be a reason why what you think is a good decision could be wrong and that's not i don't want to live my life like i don't want to make good decisions because i'm concerned about how they're going to be mm-hmm. in the end but i do think that viewing this world as my responsibility to change it or make it something that in my view is better mm-hmm. is hubris <laughs> to the point of maybe destruction mm-hmm. you know? yeah uh, I've once heard a phrase, uh, a little bit of anxiety goes a long way. <laughs> um, and I think it relates to this. Amen, bro. <laughs> um, like, I think the fact, just the fact that you think about whether your decisions are good or not is actually enough to be a good person in a weird way. I'm with you on that. Cause most people don't even think about, and, and even myself, I don't, most of my decisions, I don't think about what are the moral implications of this? And so when the moments when I do think about the moral implications, that enough, that alone is enough to kind of be a moral person, I think. Um, And yeah, like you're saying, things are, the world is so complicated and you don't know the future. Um, And this is why I practice Buddhism. I think Buddhism is a great religion for people with neuroticism and anxiety. Um, Because I think most of the teachings of Buddhism is don't worry about it too much. That's what I get out of a lot. Of yeah. Don't worry about it too much. Um, and, uh, and, and also I think this relates to karma. I've been thinking about karma so much. And Alan Watts says that the word karma means to do it's your doing and you can't escape your karma. And no matter what you do, you will, that will always be your karma and, and progress isn't linear. And so your karma is related to your progress to enlightenment and, you need your karma. You should love your karma, even if your karma sucks or you like took a wrong turn or you, you, you didn't like, if you're anxious that you didn't tell your dad to stop watching Fox news, like that's part of your karma and that's going to, that's leading you towards enlightenment. But if you did tell your dad to stop watching Fox news, that's also part of your karma. It's great. Either way you go, you win. Um, which is nice. Yeah. I don't know. The, so you're, would you say you're a firm believer in karma? Believer, um, I, even even yeah. that we can get into because I don't know. Yeah, um, I believe in karma, but I I also don't believe that I don't believe in an individual soul. So okay. I don't believe that Alex, your karma, like your doing, has anything to do with like a personal past life when you were like a caterpillar or whatever or a king. Um, but I think, I I think that the, like, I'm not an individual person. I think that the environment created me. Kind of. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. And so my karma is essentially the universe localized at this moment. Like my karma is simply like a, a time and place more than a person. It's simply what's happening in the universe right now at this place. Um, and so I view the universe as like a, a quilt, like a, like a, a connected whole. And my karma is just my thread and the trees have their own karma. And, um, and it's, it really gets me out of responsibility. If I have anxiety about like what it means to be a valuable human, um, this concept kind of helps me. I like it. I don't know. It's, um, with anything I, I struggle struggle with believing anything and I'm, I'm sure you've heard me say it but like nothing is real is like a central tenet with how I live my life and, and view this uh, shared hallucinogen we call consensus reality yeah uh, and going through 2020 just proved to me that in in so much deeper of a way that we can have uh, we have really intelligent people on both sides of an issue looking at the same information and seeing two totally different outcomes mm. that that we can do so much and have it mean so little that the things i mean i, I think the the core thing i've been like really thinking about over this past year and all these weird struggles is just how much it feels like meaning is missing in this world and I've heard it referred to as like a meaning apocalypse. Hmm. And this, uh, this political cycle has showed us what, I don't know, we might be calling like post-truth, like post-modernism someday. Yeah. Where we are, we are viewing what we used to just accept mm -hmm. and, and agree on. I mean, hegemonically even like without even thinking about it. Now we're all like, no, I don't believe that. And maybe that's not a bad thing if we're all being more agnostic, even if, even if that's taking the form of uh, extremism. I mean, so the the people that you'd like to share with how you know poor their decisions are and how negative these things are, they think the exact same thing about you. And I mean, I'm if if I'm on a side, it's probably closer to yours. But I think that. Kind of like what I was saying before about this, you know, sense of responsibility. If you have the wherewithal to think about these things and question them, then you should be spending that time also questioning yourself, not being racked by indecision, not uh, a lack of confidence or a feeling like your actions don't matter or you shouldn't be doing the things that are good, but that you should genuinely consider that if there are two sides and somebody else out there thinks so differently than you find some forgiveness for it, find some, some recognition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, God, I was just thinking about how the, how the trees feel about all this. And also from the perspective of coronavirus, 2020 was like a great year. I was thinking about that in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> 
man, its name went down in history books. It's got a fucking legacy. Yeah, and also like, I mean, it blew up. It exploded. Like, if this if this was a company, like a social media company, like like adoption exploded, like by like four hundred billion. Like, it went from no humans uh, having it to to millions. It's the of hot humans. item of twenty twenty. <laughs> and also, it's not. It's it's very contagious. And also scientists are saying it'll probably be around forever. It'll turn into like a seasonal flu. So like from the, from the perspective, seriously, from the perspective of the coronavirus, if the coronavirus had a consciousness, um, they're doing like phenomenal. They seem to have a lot of unity. Um, they, they split off there. There's a more, they mutated and there's a more, um, even more infectious version. Um, they're doing fantastic. And uh, they don't give a shit if we have people storming the Capitol or if we have like Jeff Bezos being the richest person in the world. And um, yeah. I think that kind of puts things in perspective. <laughs> who gives a shit? But coronavirus doing well or Jeff Bezos doing well? Um, really, who gives a shit about any of it? Who like uh, who cares if if Jeff Bezos is the richest person in the world and people are? <laughs> well, I mean, it sucks that people are suffering. That's why I'd like to work to end suffering. But um, that's a thing. Like. Suffering for who? I think we're speciesist, is what I'm saying. I think we care only about humans, and that's yeah. a huge. And you're you're talking about trees. I was going to poke at earlier. The tree's job is to, you know, scrub the air and provide oxygen. That tree doesn't view it that way. That tree's job is to reach to the sun. Like that's what it's here for. Yeah, I think also the I, if a tree had a consciousness, I think it would feel like its job is to house humanity. Uh, or not humanity, how is life? Like, like think about all the things that live inside of a tree. You have birds and you have bugs and you have ants. And I notice this like when I'm camping, I'm like, wow, like a tree really is a house. Um, it's like an entire world for, for they don't want that. thousands. I think they do. I think they really do. I think trees are incredibly um, empathetic and they're more it's than willing it's it's destroying its life like that is part of its decay and death well trees trees share nutrients with other i think trees understand that they are connected to the whole in a way that humans don't and so like they understand that like a little bit of self-sacrifice is actually better for for themselves and everyone um and so trees actually share nutrients like at the root level with trees of other species which seems so fucking bizarre and um I thought that was sort of the opposite. I thought they engaged in what's essentially chemical warfare, that uh, trees use different chemicals to push away non or trees of other species and things. That and does, just, that does happen. It, it, do. That does happen when you, when there's imbalance, like <laughs> that's the thing. Like each tree has its own invi- ecosystem around it that it's most comfortable. Okay. in. So there are yeah. certain trees that it will work with. And then there are certain trees that it's like, I'm destroying you. Nothing personal. Um, have you seen these? Have yeah. you seen these palm oil? This is kind of a side tangent, but have you seen these palm oil farms? No, I hear they're bad though for the environment. Man, so uh, these are tropical zones like rainforests. They you know clear cut them, burn them down, and then they plant all one tree uh-huh. in just these. <sighs> massive massive plantations of one single uh, palm and it's just i mean it's terrifying uh, any anytime you move uh, a thing towards a mono you know uh, track mm-hmm. it's so dangerous for the, the possibility of you know tipping and collapse so we've clear cut a varied ecosystem 
to put in a tree, and yes, it's a tree that's producing oxygen, and I mean, it's going to get cut down and, and used for its oil, but this this replacing a varied environment with one type of thing, and it looks, it's just, it's so ugly. It's so, it's a machine yeah. version of life. Like, it's yeah, so yeah. weird. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, yeah, I think that's an interesting point where you said, like I was saying, trees are very um, helpful and friendly and like um, kind of good teammates. And you were like, well, not always. Sometimes they're bad teammates, which makes sense. Like here in Colorado, there is like there when there's a forest fire, it wipes out a certain like all the pine trees. And then mm-hmm. out of that come a ton of aspen trees because mm-hmm. aspens are like just good at growing a lot quicker than pine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like humans are like fucking up the environment. We're also introducing these, these beetles that fucking eat everything. Um, but the trees will find a way like they will, they will create their own ecosystem. <laughs> um, e- even if it's invasive. Um, and then even I learned like fallen trees. Wait, what's this? There's, um, there's a very specific kind of ecosystem that only occurs when a tree uh, grows up to maturity and then dies and then falls over. Okay. And the roots get pulled up and the pool that, and then like rain and dead leaves fall in the pool where the roots used to be. And that itself is a ecosystem that has like thousands or billions or whatever of organisms that are only there. Because it's very specific. They need that tree to fall in that area in that ecosystem. Do you know about whale fall? No. So uh, it's a very similar thing, but when uh, when a whale dies in the ocean, its corpse sinks, and their uh, you know whales are large, so they don't have predators that kill them. So this is part of the life cycle of that whale dying of old age, starvation, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But when it hits the ocean floor, an entire specific ecosystem is built up around scraping that corpse clean. Wow, that's and super cool. These time lapse. It's, it's fucking weird. There's a specific kind of like eel pinworm thing and they just like swarm it and then burrow in and just start like pouring out holes to eat. That's incredible. Yeah. I would love to watch. I would love to like watch a little 15 minute doc on that. Yeah. And like these days with the technology, with the cameras they have, like the, the uh, motion activated cameras and the time-lapse camera, the HD, it's like awesome. We, okay. I think, I think a decent amount about environmental destruction. I mean, it, it's scary. It's, I, I sometimes, I lack empathy. I, I don't, you know, feel too concerned about, you know, what happens here. Like, this will be fine. It doesn't really matter kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But at the end of the day, like, we are destroying this planet and it is fucking terrifying, man. Mm-hmm. And we have this beautiful gift now with mass media recording technology we can put into the home of every human on this planet a view of, of what's going on out there and the negative impacts of that and mm-hmm. man it, if you don't feel something watching a nature documentary <laughs> i don't know mm-hmm. maybe it's me. yeah i hear you man i uh i got to learn a ton about different kinds of burials because my dad passed away a couple years ago. And, um, now I know about 
like how much it costs and like what the different things you can do. But most people just go like conventional. You get like a casket and you do the embalming and um, you, you either put it in the, in the shelf as my grandfather used to say, you know, the mausoleum or you put it in the underground, but um, you're, you're like taking all this usable organic material and you're like removing it from the world (laughs) And Isn't that fucking crazy, dude? Mm-hmm. And you're introducing Imagine how beautiful a human leather coat would be. <laughs> when I die, I want I want to be tattooed as fuck, and I want somebody to tan my skin and make a pair of fucking badass pants out of it. Like whatever it is, I would like, totally do that. I'll do that for you. Is on me. Please eat me. Don't don't burn me. That's too funny. Well, unless you're gonna try the outside and then some barbecue sauce. <laughs> and the other thing about the the. <laughs> Yeah, I love barbecue sauce. The other thing about apparently human skin looks like chicken. Um, the other thing or human flesh. Uh, the other thing about conventional burials is that they they cost at a minimum like seven thousand dollars. That's what they were quoting me. Um, just for like the cheapest bullshit. And then I I found this place called or this organization called the Green Burial Council. And, okay. and it's greenburialcouncil.org. And so, like, if anybody you know ever fucking dies, this is what you no, do. they're all going to live forever. Yeah, exactly. But this is the way to go. And so, actually, it's in my will that my family can only dispose of my body using a method uh, approved by the Green Burial Council. And like so, that. with my dad, like, they wrapped his body in a sheet and, and they put him in um, like a nature preserve that that's run by a nonprofit on Mm -hmm. federal, it's like federal conservation land. Um, So it will like, it has to remain, it's going to remain conservation land like for eternity um, because Mm -hmm. it's not really usable for like natural resources. Um, And it's just like beautiful meadows. If I ever wanted to visit, it's like a botanic gardens type setup. And Mm -hmm. you don't know where the specific plot is, but it's just this like beautiful nature setting. And then it's like, this is where like your dad's body is. I'm like, that's fucking awesome. And everybody should do it. And it costs, it costs like 2000 bucks all said and done start to finish. No embalming. Like I had to, I had to call the, or they, they did all the work, the, the Mm -hmm. conservation place, but they called the um, coroner and were like, don't do any embalming. Like we're going to, Take if you it don't as jump is. on that, there's so many structures that are in place that just assume what they want. And, I mean, yep, it, it's predatory in a way, but it's also just this thing where it's like, well, it's not that bad because we just all accept that it happens. But funeral homes, I mean, this whole movement at the point where it happened is is really fascinating. And there's all kinds of weird like little things about the way that we changed how we handled death that you don't even think about. Like, we don't refer to a living room in our home as a parlor anymore. Oh. They used to be the fucking point of this thing. Oh. Because whenever your grandma died, because these big families would all live together, and if you lived together, you'd have a bigger house, and even, you know, poor people could afford this living room thing. Well, the parlor is where you put your dead person whenever they died. Holy now, shit. You're right. I didn't even know that. There, oh. the The human experience of being present with a a person you love as they die Mm. and dealing with that person, the meat of the thing. Mm. It's part of being a human being for a very long time. And it's been taken from us, uh, accepted that it isn't a thing, whatever. And 
sure there are aspects we have so many people on this planet we live really close dead bodies create disease we can't even get people to fucking you know recycle if everybody's responsibility was to take care of their parents body when they died how fucked up would they do that you know like yeah we'd have fucking we'd have corpses in the garbage all the time we didn't have a system set in place we need toilets we need sewer systems we need roads we get rid of bodies this way but still like something gets lost in the mix mm-hmm. yeah yeah like you said it's it's people who work in the funeral industry i, I don't think they feel like they're exploiting people or part of a destructive system it's like usually probably it's usually a family business like you're just like born into it and so many of them. yeah yeah and you know just like anything like when you grow up learning something like we talked about exposure to people that look different from you like when you are exposed to something as a kid, it just becomes more normal as an adult. And so you just go to funerals and you think about the, everything being normal. And, but I'm like excited to give my body and all of these nutrients that I use, you know, back to the earth. Um, and I've been reading this, I've just finished this awesome book called the body by Bill Bryson. And it was suggested to me by our fellow, um, fraternity brother, Andrew Tedeschi. Um, but the, the body is so cool. It's a, like a cross, um, uh, academic, uh, survey and look at like every part of the body. The subtitle is a guide for users, but it goes through every little part of like a normal, healthy functioning body, um, and, and has interviews and metadata and studies, um, that just talk about all the little quirks and interesting things. But this thing is amazing. This, this vehicle that we all get, Mm -hmm. like, uh, and I think it was Watts again was, it was talking about this, um, how medicine is in specialties because the field of medicine for as long as we've been practicing effectively has recognized that it's just too much for one human mind to, to hold all these things. Mm -hmm. We have general practitioners and general internal medicinists, but like Mm -hmm. their job, if anything, is to be the best general triage uh a recognition that oh well now we need to call a specialist for this thing because mm. there's fucking much going on in here totally <laughs> yeah 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 How is that? the uh at the beginning of this book he he goes through like all the elements in your body um and, okay. and like how much they would cost on the on like the wholesale market okay and like just the elements that make up your body presently apparently cost something like a little under a million dollars, um, which is crazy. And so like, just for that reason alone, I would want to, I'm very looking forward to like returning this body to the earth. Um, you know and, about an air burial? <laughs> do you like get thrown out of an airplane? So, uh, it's an ancient, I, I've heard it ascribed to Zoroastrianism. Okay. Though I'm sure that there have been other people who practice this and sort of, you know, things that have been lost to history. But you've seen a ziggurat, right? This flat top pyramid? Uh, I think so. I mean, that, I know the name, but and I know pyramids. So a ziggurat is like, it's a funerary structure, but they're not like oh. a tomb, like a pyramid. They don't put the bodies into them. But what it is, is it's a tower for this funerary rite where you take the body up to the top and you're funeral practitioner, shaman, Zoroastrian priest, uh, what's the term? Magi, like uh-huh. the three kings. Uh, they cut up the body and they throw it to birds of prey and carrion. Oh, amazing. You are interned in the sky. That's fucking dope. Yeah, right? I think I'm, I may have, I, if we're allowed to, I may have 
walked up one of those or climbed one. Like when I was a kid, I went to Mexico and we, we went up the quote unquote pyramids and it, the, these look like those. Um, Ancient Zoastrium is Middle Eastern. Oh, whoops. It says Mesopotamian. Okay. Yeah, you're right. So it, um, ziggurat. Yeah. So they, it's so funny. They look like the, uh, the Aztec, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that also sounds like an Aztec ritual. I could picture them doing that in Mesoamerica. Yeah. Man. Fascinating shit across the board. Right. Yeah. Oh, cause in the word ziggurat, the, in the definition, I read the word, the word Mesopotamia as Mesoamerica. Like I stopped reading after the word, after the prefix meso. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the the other thing reading this book called The Body is they do a good job reinforcing how little we know and, like, how new so much of this shit is. Like, dude, we didn't know that – we didn't consider fungi to be a separate kingdom until 1959. That's fucking And crazy. there is much animal as there a plant. I mean, right, they're right. neither because they're fucking amazing. They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Right. I love – man, I love fungus so much. Do you know pan, pangalactic diaspora? Diasporo, some people pronounce it. I think I've heard of this. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard of this. Go ahead. The, in the formation of the earth, as in the formation of plants, the accretion of this thing, as we understand it, obviously, you know, we weren't <laughs> here when it happened, but we have pretty good ideas of how gases turn into planets and, you know, create solar systems. But among this, you know, you've got this roiling mass and it doesn't have an atmosphere so the earth in its earliest stages was constantly bombarded by the asteroids and, and particles from space in a much more active solar system because we're still looking at like plants accreting and more things floating around and getting sucked in uh-huh it is undeniable that the earth was constantly hit by these you know uh these things and the generation of the atmosphere that protected us came from the biological things on this planet, you know, creating gases and the venting of the gases in this, you know, collection of CO2. We, we wouldn't have this atmosphere if it wasn't for life. So this idea that, you know, however life is formed, it existed on this planet for a period of time where there would have been apocalyptic level asteroid meteor impacts. And what would have happened was this biological material would have been sprayed into space and then come back down, pulled back in by the gravity well. So there is no way that life on this planet could exist if it wasn't designed or capable at that time of existing in the vacuum of space and being pulled back down. Amid that idea also is the fact that these particles that were sprayed off the planet could have gone other places and maybe more interestingly, how did they get here in the first place? Mm-hmm. This, this idea that creates is that there is no way that the particles that made the life that we understand now could exist on this planet without floating in and out of space at some point and going other places and possibly coming here from other places. And this is not <clears throat> the prevailing theory, right? This is like a interesting emerging theory. No, I think this is pretty much widely accepted. It's just how often are people arguing about or considering where the particles that are life on this planet came from? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, because I think the, um, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I from what I understood, the conventional take is that like amino acids 
essentially spontaneously assembled way quicker than mathematically possible. Like, like they think that there was a primordial stew and like peptides yeah. randomly came together to form a chain that was able to reproduce. Um, so, but that this doesn't disagree with that. Okay. It's this necessary. just is another step in that. There's another con another layer. It's necessary to recognize that even if these amino acids and eventually creating some early form of DNA or maybe even in a proto RNA, uh -huh. all of this stuff would have existed or would had to have existed at the time whenever we did not have an atmosphere and were constantly bombarded by apocalyptic level uh, impacts. And those impacts would have sprayed things off the planet while this, uh, this planet that we that wasn't protected is dealing with these, these impacts. So this meteor hits, the whole planet heats up, it's unsustainable for life, and in the process of that, these particles floating in space are just hanging out and then float back down once it's safe. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I think your theory is not the, I think yours is like a more emerging theory or this one. I don't think this is the widely accepted one. Is it called pan galactic diaspora or no pan? Mm -hmm. yeah, That's what know. I've heard. I could be quoting it wrong. I think like the primordial soup, which is <laughs> equally um, like, you know, theoretical is, is well, the they, current theory. They did that in a lab. But I think that happens after the atmosphere settles down, but I think they don't understand how it happened so quickly. Like, you know, does that make sense? I, I don't know. I, I want to learn more about this because obviously I don't know much about it. But I Googled pan-galactic diaspora and like I don't see any type of result that is not science fiction. So maybe there's another word for it. No, if, if I think of it later, I'll send it to you, okay? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but God, this body, this book, The Body, really, really can, can ignite some anxieties about like not trusting... Um, conventional science or like whatever the current science is because shit is so new. Um, and like what I, I was really happy at the way this book talks about antibiotics um, mm -hmm. and pulls from seemingly legitimate sources and, and it's all referenced. Um, and it seemed like the book has gotten good praise from the scientific community. Um, but he talks about how like, Every time you take antibiotics, um, your, your body is going to wipe out the weakest bacteria and only the strongest bacteria will remain. Only the most resistant bacteria will remain. And that's fucking dangerous. And, and this dude who was a doctor had his kid, um, like rupture his stomach or something like there was a internal thing. And what happens then is, or his intestines ruptured. It was an appendix thing, I think. And mm. so his gut flora got into his body. Usually that's no fucking problem. There's like a very easy uh, antibiotic for that. However, this kid had taken just like two courses of antibiotics in his life. And after two courses, his gut flora was resistant to antibiotics and the kid almost died. And I was telling Eva, I'm like, that's why I'm fucking freaked out when the dentist is like, you need to take this antibiotic. And I'm like, I don't trust anybody who's slanging this shit. And that's one ecosystem, your body. But mm. we also have to look at the fact that this prevalence of antibiotics in our 
culture and our world Mm -hmm. is putting it into so many ecosystems and the overall ecosystem. When you take that antibiotic, even if you finish the course and everything, those particles are still in the environment, in the urine, your feces, back into the thing. We're looking. Oh shit! I forgot about that. Whole world that is being aggressively adjusted. I forgot about that. They're turning the freaking frogs gay. Like they got the the estrogen. You know, if you're taking hormones or whatever. Any bacterial hand soap versus regular soap, you don't need to put in something there that is a, a a killer of microorganisms. The action of washing your hands, the mechanical action and the surfactant action of the soap itself is what cleans the thing. You don't we don't need to put more poison out there and kill everything that's small. Like mm-hmm. leave it alone. Wash it off your hands. Yeah. Well, and and I think about medicine in general this way again it's, it's we're turning into this territory All right, that's, that was alex jones okay and you know i think i have heard of that yeah. um right you were saying you were saying don't don't introduce one chemical to kill something else because it's going to have this whole imbalance sort of reaction. why are we trying to fix everything and that is a big question why why are we trying to fix everything and i've thought for a while especially working in medicine we're gonna look back at some of this shit and be like holy fuck that was our standard reaction to this thing to split the breastbone open and start fucking with the heart Mm -hmm. like why why did we do that and we look at things like you know uh civil war battlefield medicine we're like jesus they just washed their tools in a stream and then moved on to the next limb to cut off what kind of barbarism is that Mm -hmm. or mental health you know, a hundred years ago, like, oh, we used shock therapy and people in rooms. And then Watts made this argument. Look at the Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition. No one at that time was like, oh, we're evil monsters. Mm -hmm. What they looked at is we have a serious malady, this lack of faith or hereticism or whatever, it is our job to do what we need to to root this thing out. You have cancer. It's our job to cut your body open and direct radiation at you and fill you with poisons. We we have different explanations for these things. We're doing the same fucking thing. Yeah. But- I'm not saying that all medicine is bad, but I'm saying that, that it's worth considering, yeah. and I think that hindsight is going to be unkind to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, one thing, like there are, like you said, there is some medicine that is so good. Um, Eva got her appendix taken out because she it blew up on her. <clears throat> it didn't it didn't rupture, but it, it got inflamed. Mm-hmm. And it's like the three smallest little boop, 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 little nicks in her abdomen. And they take that sucker out. I think I'm guessing that they like have timed competitions because the the nurse said that the surgeons have fun doing appendectomies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like they have almost perfected this. I mean, short of finding some acupuncture remedy that that reduces the inflammation, like they've they've perfected this. Like that needed to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty fucking cool. But uh, maybe <laughs> maybe it had to come out because of all the I don't know chemicals that are turning the freaking frogs gay but uh it was pretty also, cool that they were able to it, take it, it out come out of eva because you love her and you don't want to see her die but 
why why are we practicing any medicine? It's to keep people alive longer. Mm-hmm. It, again, it's this question of like, what are you improving and, and why? And, and it's really hard to look at it objectively when it's yourself or somebody you love or care about. Mm-hmm. But but it is an interesting question to consider how how much and what are we doing and why are we going to keep everybody alive forever? What kind of a fucking nightmare scape would that be? Well, I think it's right. I think at, at this point, at, when I've been an optimist my whole life, but looking at it from a pessimistic side of view, life is not about improving things. Life is about reducing suffering. And at this point, our lives. So like Eva, Eva views her life as somebody who was born into an horrible, awful world with exploitation and violence and like tons of trauma and just a fucked up world. And it's like immoral to bring somebody into this world. And this is the world that she was brought into and she was privileged enough to be able to get a doctorate or a, a, um, a JD, uh, a law degree. And she, since she was a kid, she was like, I'm committed to like reducing the suffering in this world through housing. Um, and housing seems to be so central, like food and water to like somebody's well being, And so she just devotes her life to like providing housing to people that wouldn't be able to get it. And so saving her life is like, okay, like she might be killing the trees because we, even though we compost, you know, we all, we do have a carbon footprint. We drive and we fly uh, on airplanes. Uh, And so, but she's still reducing pain of others. And so I'm like, and it reduces her own pain. So her, you know, her appendix doesn't explode on her. So it really is, I think the, the avoidance or prevention of pain and suffering rather than like the, the creation of good. <laughs> you think that's, that's your overarching opinion, what the purpose of life is to reduce pain and suffering. Um, no, no, I, I think, I don't think that life has a purpose outside of itself. Um, okay. which Alan Watts said, and there, which, which, and another way of saying that is that life has no purpose. Life is meaningless. Um, mm-hmm. If something is its own meaning, if something doesn't have meaning outside of itself, then you can say that that thing is meaningless. Like the word apple is meaningful because it signifies the physical object. Um, so anyway, life has no meaning and it doesn't really matter, but we try. <laughs> That's what I think. I'm not going to disagree with that. You, you're not? No, no, I won't disagree <laughs> with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, and I, I was, trying. I have, I, throughout my life, I've had like existential crises about what I'm doing with my life. Like, am I, mm-hmm. am I contributing enough? Uh, because I've, I grew up in like a privileged upbringing in like an upper middle class suburb in, in the United States in the 20th century, Um, and there are peers of mine and people younger than me with the same opportunities or less who have quote unquote done more, right? Um, CEOs or, or, or people who lead nonprofits or, or filmmakers or whatever. And, um, and I like struggle with that sometimes, but then I, what helps me is reevaluating like what the meaning of life is and, and reevaluating not being a speciesist, you know, looking at life through the perspective of a tree and looking at life from the perspective of the whole universe, trying to have like the, the galaxy brain or like the God point of view. Um, mm-hmm. And 
I still don't know. I, I, like I said, I think that life is meaningless, but, um, I think I'm doing my part just by being cognitive. So that's it. yeah, the eyes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, being appreciative. Uh, overall worldview that's kind of vastly different from yours and something I've uh, come to believe or at least consider is this idea of entropy. You know, entropy, all, all systems move towards chaos. It's, it's dissolution of structure and order. The eventual end of the universe is going to be the heat death of the universe. If, you know, we don't have this collapse essentially back to a singularity, mm-hmm. be familiar with the heat death of the universe. Yeah, yeah. So for, for your listeners who, who might not, uh, at some point the universe will expand to a point where all of the matter, particle, and energy is just one even soup, like static. There will be no, no life, no rocks, no planets, no stars, no difference in anything. It's just, just one homogenous fart. And, and that's entropy, and that uh-huh. is... That is a force, a, a thing that wants its way to go that way. And I think that the opposite of entropy is not necessarily order, but it's life. Because life is a, a system that makes order out of all these particles. If you are two human beings and you give birth to another human being, that human being is this series of order and it's going to consume all these disparate pieces to continue making this sort of thing. And I think that uh, a thing that I've found that brings me satisfaction in this world is making things, whether it's art or furniture or drawings, this idea that as a human with these two amazing tools we call hands and a brain that we can, we can put those pieces together and make something that isn't soup that is, order that is a a decision it's a a collection of particles with a a particular purpose Mm -hmm. so i i see i see it as life and entropy maybe not necessarily at war but definitely two opposing points yeah yeah for sure um google says that the heat death of the universe is a theory on the ultimate fate of the universe which suggests the universe would evolve to a state of no thermodynamic free energy and would therefore be unable to sustain processes that increase entropy. And that makes sense to me because I took an astronomy class. So essentially they're saying like, like life on earth requires free energy to organize things, I think. But, but the way that the universe expands means that like we're running out of energy to organize kind of. Well, mass and energy are, the same thing you you can consider all physical structures and energy itself to be, to be, you know, the same or interchangeable. And, uh, as all systems move towards chaos, it's like dissolving or dissolution. You know, you put sugar crystals into a glass of water and eventually it all just looks like the same sort of thing. If you put a spoonful of sugar into a glass of water versus a spoonful of sugar into the ocean, what we're looking at is an entire universe that is just going to be an ocean of dissolved nothingness. So I think your theory on the meaning of life or the meaning of humanity would be to make hay while the sun shines. Yeah. Get shit done, man. 
I like getting shit done. It makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting how different humans have different purposes. Um, Like Eva has this beautiful theory that I've co-opted that like in a perfectly running society or a well-run society, every single person has a meaningful thing to do job, quote unquote, even if you have autism or down syndrome or, or crippling addiction, um, there is a role for everybody in a well-functioning society. And it's fun how my conception of like what my, the meaning of my life is, is to observe and to appreciate and yours is to like make things. And like, I'm not, I've never been somebody to really make things other than podcasts, like relationships, you know, which is, which is a thing that you, that you make for sure. Yeah. I make relationships. That's what I like to do. Do you, you know Alistair Crowley? Yeah, yeah. Do what thou will. Do what thou will. Right? Is that his quote? Do do what thou will. As is the whole of the law. Uh, and then the it, you know how uh, curiosity killed the cat. And then, but it, it's more meaningful when you know the full phrase. Okay. Uh, but satisfaction brought it back. Oh. So uh, curiosity killed the cat sounds like you're saying, "Hey, don't be curious. It's dangerous." But the actual phrase is and satisfaction brought it back. It's saying that it's worth exploring these things. So Crowley's line, do what thou will is the whole of the law. Sounds like he's saying, be selfish and do whatever you want. And then the full phrase is, uh, love above all, love is the law. And it's this greater concept that, and, and I've thought about it a, a lot, and I'm not exactly sure if you can boil it down. It's like, um, like describing the Tao, oh. they've already done it. They've said the words that make as much sense as we know. Uh, the Tao that can be spoken up is not the true Tao. How do you tell somebody what the Tao is? I mean, read the whole book and then think about it your entire lifetime. Mm. What is Crowley saying? What I've pulled out of that is uh, his idea of the true will is this idea that your job is to find out what your job is and to live that thing. So for you, that's relationships. Uh, and for me, that's creating objects and appreciating them. And for Eva, it's reducing suffering and putting people in homes. If you find that thing that makes you fucking you feel good, do good, that, that is, that's what you're here for. Mm. It's different for everybody. You're so right. And, and going back to the idea of karma, like when I look at somebody who's, doing something that I disagree with, like storming the U S Capitol. Um, I see that as their karma and I see that as something they can't escape. Like this is who they are in that moment. And like every, every moment of their life leading up to that is what dictated that, that event. Um, and like the, is this this your arguing against free will? Yes. See, I, I think that you can be that person storming the Capitol and you may have made the decisions that led you in a position that you wouldn't want to be in. I, I think that the people storming the Capitol, the vast majority of them are doing so out of fear, pain, and hate because they're not doing what they should be. Whether one of these guys should be a cobbler and making shoes would stop him from storming the castle and trying to hurt people and feeling upset about things. Or maybe, you know, uh, if he was a rapist, even if it's a terrible thing, like that is his true will. That's what he should be doing instead of storming the Capitol. Maybe these bad decisions stop them from doing some things that are worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I like the idea of accepting that uh, other people do things and it's not my job to fix them, mm-hmm. but 
I think it would be really nice if we all found the thing that we're supposed to be doing that made us feel really satisfied. And I recognize that for a lot of people, that might be a thing that I don't like, mm-hmm. but we need all kinds. Like it's gotta be a mix. Yeah. Um, so with the free will thing, this is, I love this quote. Arthur Schopenhauer said that a man can do what he will, but he cannot will what he wills. Does that who's, who's Schopenhauer? He's a philosopher. Yeah. When um, from? What's that? When from? Uh, I think the 20th century. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what school he falls into? I don't know him. Um, I think it was, uh, he would, he, he was like ethics. Okay. Yeah, man. I don't know. I'm does still that, a big believer in free will. Does that make um, sense though? 1818 is when he, okay. his big work. Does that make sense though, that you can't will what you will? Nah, I mean, I disagree. And, and I've had a decent number of, so uh, my side job, I'm working at this furniture store and the owner of the furniture store is a younger creationist who uh, is uh, so comfortable with concepts like, you know, playful blasphemy. It's not like talking to the Christians that I've talked to all throughout my life. <laughs> he has very specific views about things like uh, God's love and forgiveness that do not jive with what I've heard from most people, but seem to uh, imply a better worldview than a lot of people who think and parrot certain things, but act in a really contradictory manner. Mm. He's an interesting character to, uh, to talk to. We have a lot of conversations like this, but he, he does not believe in or see the world as free will. And I think it's a lot it's very similar to what you're saying there. And it's just never, never jive with me. Mm-hmm. I've never believed in fate. I've never, I mean, there's so many things where if I'd made a decision differently in my life or done something different, I would have a different life. And there are ways that I can look at the life that I have now and see it negatively, or I can look at the life that I have now and see it positively. I can imagine myself in these other scenarios and say, Hey, but I don't know if I'd be happier or, or less happy, the things that are making me happier, less what I'm doing and more how I see, mm-hmm. how I see it all. Um, yeah. So I'm going to, I, I'm connect, I'm going to connect this to like physical health because obviously okay. physical, you don't have free will over your physical health. And so in, from this book, the body, they talked about this study, um, be, uh, that happened in the Netherlands in the forties and fifties, because in 1944, there was a, there was a famine that was imposed by the Nazi regime. And so for one year, there was incredible famine throughout all of the Netherlands. So the babies um, were incredibly mal- malnourished. However, um, these, and, and so it provided this availability for like a longitudinal study between the 1944 babies and the 1945 babies, and also the 1944 babies in the Netherlands versus Germany right over the border. And they found that like for the first like 40 years of their lives, everything was exactly the same. Like the health outcomes were exactly the same. However, by the time they hit like 50, like the, the babies that were part born from the famine in 1944 started having all these heart issues and uh, all these mental difficulties, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's crazy. Okay. This had obviously these people had no choice uh, whether to be born in 1944 in a famine or 1945 or whether to be born in the Netherlands or Germany. You cannot choose where you're born. 
Just like how weird, we didn't choose to have na- English be our native language. It was given to us. Mm-hmm. And so essentially like, and this ties into the trauma based theory of care that I was talking about before. What happens in the first two years of your life, physically, mentally, circumstantially, like affects the rest of your life. And so that affects the words you're saying right now. And like, if you believe that, that's like taking the red pill on free will. Like this is the beginning down the rabbit hole. If you believe that you didn't choose where you were born into, then you shouldn't believe that you chose anything after that because everything that you were able to choose is because of where you were born. You're only given those options. So you have no free will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I disagree largely. As, as someone who has had um, a divorce and a rest, uh, jobs I hated and jobs I loved, uh, I can look at things that happened in my life and see how decisions I made would have changed things. And I can also look at the, so like I was in a, a car accident a handful of years ago where I was at fault. Uh, I totaled my car, I hit another person and it changed like my, my economic status in a lot of ways. I couldn't afford a new car. I had to move to be closer to this job. I did a job that I really hated for a long time because I felt like trapped at this thing. But how were you going to make a different decision? How? I could have not looked at my fucking phone. Like, but how, but, but the reason you looked at your phone was because of the thought that preceded you looking at your phone. And so you would have had to change that preceding thought, you see? And, and that preceding thought, like you don't have free will. You don't have control over that decision. You would have always made that choice. That choice was always going to be made. When I got divorced, I agonized for, for months about whether or not to, to leave my wife. I could have made a different decision. I don't think Do you, you could have. I think you don't you were, think I could have made a different decision. I think you were always, I think that was always going to happen. I think that was destined to happen based on what had happened previously, what had happened a second before um, in hindsight, like with the ben- benefit of hindsight being 2020, I can look back and be like, you had no choice, but to do that karmically. So, you had no choice but to waffle for three months karmically. It feels it feels like one of those things that there's no no way to argue against it, no point in making a decision either way. For sure. Uh, but it but this viewpoint I think we both agree that in in these situations that I'm describing, there were two uh, diametrically opposed decisions, two two outcomes, and and I made one and went on that path. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand the basic argument that says that I couldn't have made that other one. Mm-hmm. I recognize that there are pieces that fell into place for me to make the one decision that I did, but fuck man, I, I could have made the other one and I could be really happy doing that thing. I could be really miserable doing that thing. I could be really happy right now, or I could be really miserable regardless of that huge choice that I made and the, the branching path that, that created in my life. I, I guess it's kind of like what I was saying about the uh, coronavirus. I don't care if you prove to me that China made it or that it was a total accident. It doesn't change anything about the life that I'm dealing with. And even if you absolutely convinced me that my decisions are not my own and they were just going to happen, 
it doesn't change the fact that each of these decisions I've had to make, I've had to think about and, and decide. What's the point of arguing we don't have free will? Maybe it's more interesting to decide what are we talking about when we talk about free will? Mm. I think there are good benefits to not having to, to giving up the idea that you have free will. I don't know. So I think about like serial killers a a decent amount and the vast majority of these people, man, child molesters are a prime example. Very few people who hurt children that way did not experience that in their life. Does that mean that it's okay? No, of course not. It's not okay to hurt children. It's not okay to hurt anybody. This is a very like specific example and people think about this and they feel like a lot like we all agree no you shouldn't fucking hurt kids but it doesn't it doesn't forgive the fact that these people do this but it's very significant to recognize that there are reasons that these things happen so often Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting than than saying like hey you know is it is it good or bad Mm -hmm. obviously we can all agree we don't like that thing Mm -hmm. Um, God, when I went to Morocco, that really was another reminder of how, like, we have no free will. Um, like if I was born anywhere in Morocco, it'd be fucking done. Like I would, there's, there's no way I'd be able to like make any choices remote. Like if the thing is, if you have a completely different set of choices to make, you don't, that is not free will. Like you think you have free will. That's a fucking lie. Like that's not free will, man. Like being forced a different set of choices that you did not choose is fucked up uh, when, when there are other oppor- when there are other options. And from that standpoint, it sounds more like you're arguing that, that having limited options means you don't have any option. Um, it means you didn't choose to have those options. Yeah, but you still make decisions within those options. But what if you're so, what if you're so severely traumatized as a kid that you like you you're willing to admit that some people don't have free will, right? No, I, I think I mean to any degree that any of us have it, we all have it to some degree. I think that uh, so much of of reality is analog; it's not black and white. I think that uh, you know we all recognize that human beings are self aware and cognizant. But man, I fucking love dogs and I've loved dogs that have loved me. I know that they don't have an internal dialogue like I do, but but I think these these dogs have personalities. Sure. So so we're looking at a thing that is at least degrees of difference. And there can be people who have disadvantages in life that take away uh, their power, their agency, and their ability to make decisions. They might have many uh, considerably more limited decisions. But, but fundamentally, we still all have decisions that we make, and those decisions mm-hmm. can go different ways. I think and that I recognize that the pieces fit into that, and there are things that are out of our control. And yeah, our hands are forced in all kinds of different things. But even if it's the breakfast cereal that you eat in the morning, like that's a decision that you made. You had free will to do that. I think that there there's so much complexity that goes into our impulses that we confuse the complexity for free will. Like it's just too complicated for you to understand the factors that went into you deciding your breakfast cereal. Cause there were like billions 
of factors. Absolutely. But yeah. but don't confuse those billions of factors for free will. Like those billions of factors equal. It's an it's a mathematical equation. Those billions of factors equal your decision for the breakfast cereal. Don't confuse that with like you made a choice. That's just so chaos. Here, here's a, a side conjecture. Make a, a, an experiment out of it or, or a model. And this is, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman. I've heard the, the name. Yeah, I don't know much about him. Uh, Gaiman's great. Uh, he wrote Sandman, the graphic novel series, which is actually where I heard about uh, Sky Burials. He's done a bunch of kids' books, a bunch of like really serious adult books. I've done, I've read one Neil Gaiman graphic novel. I don't remember it though. Okay. Probably Sandman. But, um, uh, American Gods was a book he wrote a few years ago and then stars adapted into a TV series recently. It's good. But at one point, a very significant thing happens and the main character makes the decision based on a coin flip. Hmm. That's what do you do about that, man? Like if I had decided to leave my wife or not over a coin flip, that would be saying that all of your argument about me taking uh, the only decision that I could because of all the factors that go into it. And I'm pushing those things aside. And I've made the decision to base this off a coin flip, which is a 50-50, one way or the other. Yeah, that's even less free will. Why would that Why would that prove free will? That seems to disprove. That's just giving up your illusion of free will. Hmm. And also, I think that the billions of factors led to that person deciding to flip a coin. As weird as that sounds, it's you can't escape it. That's why my my theory can't be disproven. Seemingly, like every action. That, that's why reductionist arguments just don't go anywhere, man. It, like they don't. Not that they don't. Just that they don't go anywhere. It's they don't contribute anything. But in my opinion. but see that I think the nature of reality is reductionist. It's fractal. It's two mirrors looking at each other, and that's why my wife doesn't understand this kind of spirituality because she's a very linear thinker. And reality is not linear. Reality is circular. Reality is fractal. It's like fucked up and reductionist. And I didn't make the rules. <laughs> but I, yeah, I really think that people don't <clears throat> have a choice. Um, they just think they have a choice because they don't understand the complexity of all the factors. Okay. So accepting that either we won't agree on that or it, in my opinion, like I said, it, I don't, see it really mattering what good does that information that decision that way of viewing the world do you um it, it's made me so much more empathetic um, okay like i now see everybody and i'm like you don't you didn't choose to do that this is your karma like it, it's made me embrace and love karma so much um like the, you need to do this right now like i can't like, I shouldn't stop you. Like, I mean, I, I, it's my karma to try and stop you, but, but it's your karma to be this person. And like, I need to honor that, um, because it's going to end in enlightenment. Um, but they, you did nothing to like, you're not an individual, first of all. So like, why the fuck would I think that you did anything? Cause you don't exist based on my religion. So for me, like, not being an individual and not having free will go hand in hand. So for Buddhism, it's quite easy. It might be harder for a Christian, for like somebody who's Judeo-Christian who believes in an individual soul, you know? So I, at the end of the day, it gives you empathy and makes you feel more connected to people. 
hundred percent. Yeah. I feel empathy, not just for like murderers and, and evil people, but like, just like service industry people. If I'm like getting pissed off that they're like idiots and they're not thinking right. I'm like, you know, like that's not your fault that you're not as cognitively advanced as I am. Totally not your fault. And it's fucked up for me to like be, to like look down at you for who you are because of who I am. If we were switched, I would feel awful about that. I would want compassion. I guess it seems like a complicated way for, or I, I guess maybe it's almost dismissive. It is interesting to me that we've arrived at the same outcome, mm. even mm. though our core belief on the argument is completely opposite. Like, yeah. I feel the kind of empathy that I think you're describing, uh-huh. but I feel it for totally different reasons. Yeah. You know, and I, but in, I, I do, I struggle with this idea that like, uh, can you blame a person who does terrible things if we can understand that the reasons that they did them are because bad things happen to them? And it sounds like your dismissal of free will is kind of the, I don't know, metaphysical bandaid to put on the thing. It sure that makes sense? Yeah, it totally is the metaphysical bandaid. It's an easy out. Also, I think um, because I have compulsive behaviors and OCD and anxiety disorder, like I have direct experience with not having free will over parts of my behavior, like being, okay. being cognizant uh, directly of not having free will over what I do. So that probably has like opened my, my philosophical door, like opened my mind to the idea that like nothing is, is in our control. Yeah. And we have different ways of saying it, but I recognize that like by nothing is real, is my philosophical bandaid. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen so many aspects of how I approach things as a, like, I was born a Christian and then I like felt really opposed to that thing and how much of the ways that I've structured my own worldview are simply different ways of saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are crushing this pod, by the way. We are, we blasted way past 90 minutes. I wanted to ask yeah. you, if you had, if you had a, a few more minutes, I'd love to keep talking. Yeah. Great. Yeah. We can squeeze a little bit more out of this. Let's squeeze, this juicy fruit. squeeze it. And then we might have to do a follow up. Let's be honest here. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think I would mind doing more of this, man. This is fun. So much fun. <laughs> um, do you have a specific thing to close us out on? Well, no, I, Oh my God, I have so much more. I'd love to talk to you about. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, what is it? Uh, Satanism. Okay. What, um, do you practice Satanism? I believe you said you did. I don't consider myself anything. And this is, uh, the, the best articulation of this. I've heard, you know, Terrence McKenna, right? Uh huh. So, uh, Terrence McKenna has this line. He says something along the lines of, I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but he used, I don't believe in any of these things because I think that giving over to belief essentially makes you sound like a crazy person says I'm a meme spreader. And what he's saying is that these are ideas and whether you believe in uh, a sky God who made a human man to die for your sins 
or uh, you think that aliens seeded this planet, like, why, why put all your chips in that basket when it's so much more interesting to just consider these things? And mm. I... I love Satan, but I love Satan in the way that I think it's an idea. And I think that ideas are very powerful. I don't know. I I never met God, but I recognize that this thing gives a lot of people a lot of good. I recognize that there are things in this universe that we can't explain. And those are some of the most fascinating things. I don't consider myself a Satanist. I don't go to a satanic church. And a big thing that I've come to recognize and, and found satisfaction in is that I think that there is a human desire to group together with other people and find that sense of community. Mm. And I recognize the pleasure in that, but I also recognize the pleasure in something like heroin. I don't want to do a thing that that I think might make me feel good but doesn't do me any good or maybe does me bad. So I seek my own spiritual enlightenment and understanding however I feel like. Mm. And sometimes that's Satan, other times it's other things. And not, not doing it with a group of people, seeking a sense of community or taking on others' thoughts and ideas into my head is a big part of how I choose to do this. Interesting. Yeah, I agree that, and I agree that uh, religion seems to have tons of benefits for a lot of people in that communal aspect. And uh, growing up in like a Christian family that was very religious, I I saw a lot of the benefits. Um, And yeah, I, I thought, I think it's so interesting that you were saying like, picking, picking a team, so to speak, like going all in on being like, this is my religion. Like, this is what I believe is so true. Um, You had your identity on this thing. (laughs) People, people who believe very strongly in these things. My dad is a conservative. He's, you know, he's my father. He's a myriad of things. We're all pastiche of human experiences and and what have you. But my dad believes this stuff. And for him to deal with, challenges to that sense of belief is to shake the core of his structure and he doesn't want to fucking do it. And I see that in him. I love him, but I don't want to be him. Mm-hmm. I, I have chosen to be as flexible in my mentality as I can so that I can deal with the fact that shit changes, man. Shit changes a lot. And the better you are dealing with that and being okay with it, adapting and, and doing well in those changes I think, I think you'll be happier and I think you'll be more successful and I want to be happy and successful. <laughs> so I would rather be uh, nobody or human tofu or whatever you want to call it. So I can be what I need to be in this moment than to say, I am a Satanist. I am a liberal. Mm-hmm. I am a libertarian. I am, you know, uh, this or that. Fuck it, man. I'm me. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it relates to the Tao Te Ching where um, there's some lines where it says like a lot of people think that being strong is being hard. But if you look at nature, being soft is actually the strongest. Um, Water, man. Water versus a rock, right? You think that the rock is the strong thing, but the water is the thing that will erode it. And then like you look at babies, 
<clears throat> fucking bounce a baby off the floor, they're going to be no problem because they're soft and yeah. pliable, bouncy. <clears throat> so yeah, that's the strong. The the strong is is the soft for sure. Um, and when you get so rigid and hard in like a belief, that's brittle. Um, and also it's fucking annoying to like have to, like you said, to have to hold, to have to like be beholden to that despite like other evidence or whatever. Man, what a fucking shit time to feel really strongly about things. Like I, True. I really like talking about politics mm-hmm. and I like talking to people who disagree with me because, well, a lot of people disagree with me, so it's not hard to find, but but talking to somebody who just agrees with everything you agree is just, it's masturbatory. Like we're not getting any, we're not doing anything. And I love to masturbate too, but you know, right. what's time, the purpose? Time and place, thing? time and place. Yeah. Yeah. I was but lucky. What I found mm. especially lately is that when I try to have a conversation with somebody who disagrees with me, it's never my interest to change them to what I think, but I really, I enjoy the sparring, the discourse and the mm. understanding. I love being proven wrong, mm. but more and more, I have to, I have to play a game where I'm just not hurting somebody's feelings. I'm not offending them. So I'm trying to like listen, get their opinion and share little bits of mine, but I I have to conch it. I have to be really careful. I can't say how I actually feel. I can't challenge what you think too much because, because the thing that where I lose is where you stop playing with me. I don't lose an argument by being proven wrong. I lose when no one wants to play the game anymore. Like, well, fuck. <laughs> Guess I'll just crawl back into my own head and, and think of these thoughts. Interesting. Yeah. I think I'm similar um, along the lines of like not wanting to like end the debate or piss people off or whatever. I, I've found that one of my goals in having political debates with people that disagree with me is like my goal is to um, have an, an, a mutual understanding of our feelings. Like mm-hmm. I want, I want them to understand how I feel in my heart versus how they think I, cause maybe they think I'm some crazy evil person, but I want them to feel or understand that I feel like a humanitarian and very empathetic and, and that my policy, my ideas are based on that. And I want to feel their pain. I want to like understand where they're coming from and understand because I think what motivates most people is pain and not empathy, unfortunately. Um, and it's, and usually if they're motivated by empathy, they're not disagreeing with me on policy, to be honest. Um, so I find that I'm, I'm trying to feel their pain, their trauma, and I want them to feel my empathy. Which is weird to convey when you're having like a policy conversation about like taxes, you know? <laughs> it, but I, I harp on it a lot, but man, we are all pretty fucking similar. I don't think there's an Illuminati, but I think that that people with more power and money have a very serious interest in keeping those of us with less power and money from recognizing how similar we are. I think that all of these conflicts are are really arguing the same sort of thing. We have enough money, we have enough goods, we have enough prosperity on this planet for more people to be living good lives and we're not. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's fucked up. Mm -hmm. And all these different ways that we're fighting uh, police brutality and race-based socioeconomic depression, the 
decision about, you know, uh, political sides or the, the aspects of things that we want to have rights to or, you know, accept to be taken from us, whether they're reproductive or firearms, we're arguing about power and prosperity, and we don't recognize that, that the line is very clear, and it's not black versus white, left versus right, American versus Chinese. It's the people with power wanting to stop the people without power mm-hmm. and put us down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's what the conversation should be pointing towards. And Trump if almost... political debate... Trump kind of ran on that a little bit. You know, he really had a a lot of his rhetoric was us versus them, top versus bottom. Um, And there was some hope that like that the Trump rhetoric um, or the Trump policies was going to be this us versus them in terms of like the lower underclass versus the elite. Right. There he is. So my dad had this picture on his fridge for the past like two or three years. I convinced him to give it to me. But it's a, it's a political artifact that I, I find really interesting. But uh, when I took it, he told me uh, he wanted to give me the backstory on it. And the line associated with this image was, it's not me thereafter. It's you. I'm just standing in their way. And to think that people believe that, that this billionaire powerful person is at all concerned about his constituents Mm -hmm. is an absolute fucking lie. (laughs) And it's really nasty. And, and if that was a picture of Biden saying the same thing, I'd be saying the same thing. I don't believe that you can get to these levels of power and maintain some human decency. And we talked about this, and you brought up uh, AOC. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about her, but I think if you watch her over the next 10 years, you will like her less and less because I think that that's what happens. I think that, uh, that the longer that you exist within this system, the more you become a piece of that system. And I think that the system is sick. I think that the justice system is sick. I think that our financial system is sick. I think that our political power is sick. And like I said about corporations, it's our own damn fault. We wrote the program. Hmm. We made corporations so the corporations would make money. We didn't make them so they'd make cars. We didn't make them so they'd make clothes. We made them so they'd make money. Well, we didn't, we don't live in, we didn't live in a democracy, a big democracy. You know, the we was was the oligarchy. If we lived in a democracy, I'd be more inclined to say, yeah, we did create that. Does that make sense? I, I again, you know, we're describing why these things happen, and I think that's less important than what is happening. I see. Yeah, no, we agree on what's happening. <laughs> that's yeah, I'm sure. It's fucked up, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I think you're right. For the most part, to get to that level of power, you... Uh, stop being a good person or whatever, or a person capable of, of, of doing good things. Um, but I think there are outliers because like um, if you just have a large enough number of, of people or, you know, a lot given a larger enough sample size, you're going to have outliers. Um, I mean, but that's like saying if the wolf pack gets big enough, it's going to have some coyotes in it. Like, well, no, no, but there, no, there are, there are historical, like FDR was an outlier. He essentially bucked his class, um, by, by, cause he was from a rich elite New York family. He was from, he was a Roosevelt. 
but he he enacted like all these crazy socialist policies that were like directly hurting his friends in New York. And so yes, we would say that we would his say country that, was on. I mean, this is your. There is no free will. His country was on the verge of collapse. Mm-hmm. And yes, he did what the the largest economic redistribution that our country has ever seen probably will frankly unless this whole place burns we're not going to see something like the new deal again mm. i i don't think america is ever going to see ubi in the way that america is mm. and maybe when america is something else right. maybe even if it's still called america mm. but this thing that we have now is not going to give people that freedom and that economic power and freedom yeah 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 it seems like a stretch that we would have ubi that we could turn this ship around but um and you're right the fdr thing was the fdr's policies were born out of the great depression also fdr was a moderate democrat when he came into office fdr is actually biden seems most similar to fdr coming into office um a moderate democrat from from the elite who inherits um an economic like awful situation, like depression and also tons of progressive left wing, um, uh, push for, for socialist policies and Biden seems willing to do it. So I'm, that is very I'm optimistic. optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's going to lower through executive order. He's going to lower Medicaid or Medicare rather to uh 60 rather than 65. And Bernie Sanders's first step in Medicare for all was lowering it to 55. So, so Biden is kind of going a little bit in that direction. I don't know, but yeah, but I mean, FDR was, was similar where he was like a pretty moderate guy. Also FDR was our only concentration camp president. So even our greatest president, in my opinion, was also the one who started the concentration camps in this country. So, yeah, I mean, he had a situation, he was dealing with it. And, and like not great he did not the, handle that well oh well i mean i i don't like that he put japanese people into internment camps no not good but i mean that's what we're talking about right yeah yeah yeah. those are the concentration camps yeah that was a bad move yeah is it is it is it inaccurate to refer to them as internment camps um I'm, no you can I'm refer to them the guy. you can talk you can refer to them as both but internment camps is like a whitewashed it's like a okay uh, I was unaware of that, and that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was my. I think he was our greatest president, <laughs> regardless. I don't. I have a. I don't have a list of top ten best presidents. I have a list of top ten least bad presidents, and he's the number one least bad president. Well, yeah. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> country uh, built by slavery and based on genocide. Not great. Not a great place to start. <laughs> what What are you going to do, man? And I know it's so like liberal or like one one time uh, a, a conversation between me and my dad ended with him yelling at me. What do you want me to apologize? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's all but personal. It seems personal. What are you going to fucking do? We the people who live here did do so because they stole the country from a bunch of people who were living here already and they use slave labor to build the thing at a time when nobody else in the world thought slavery was a little bit okay. Mm. Like the, the Dutch, you know, that, that was about it. Mm-hmm. And, and we were, I mean, it, it, it's fucking nuts. Yeah. Yep. 
Crazy world we're living in here, Alex. Yeah. Fucking 2021, man. All right. Uh, ending question for you, if you're mm. okay with it. Perfect. Ancient aliens, true or not? Ancient aliens? Um, coin flip. I think, I think there's a really good chance. Like, why the fuck not? Everything's so... Like, we were talking before about the pyramids in Mesoamerica looking just like the fucking pyramids in Mesopotamia. So, I don't know. So I, I thought about it a lot and I finally came to a decision. Okay. I'm saying no, no ancient aliens. Okay. Why? Why? Because if aliens came to this planet, mm-hmm. we can guarantee they would have one thing that we did not see for like thousands of years after. And that's boots. Boots are great, man. And Egyptians dealt with sandals for like another, what, 3000 years. Uh huh. So footwear is your... Why the fuck would you, you know, absorb all this technology and have all these gifts from our benevolent uh, alien benefactors and nobody's wearing fucking boots? That's a great point. I don't know. Maybe they had orthotics. I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, footwear. I like yeah. it. An alien would show up with closed-toed shoes. And nobody invented closed-toed shoes for a long time. So whether we're drawing art that looks like them, creating cargo cults, mm-hmm. uh, building the structures they're telling us to, at some point, somebody who was in charge of building something and making things would have seen that alien overlord's shoes and been like, damn, I want right. a pair of sweet boots like that. Yeah, no, I could... I, I'm, I subscribe to the footwear theory of no alien, no ancient aliens. <laughs> sure, I thought you were going to go with, like, no, they're waiting until we have a global government like they they won't deal with us when we're tribal like they that's too fucking hairy they need a singular government to deal with well i mean a singular government's only going to happen if we have another uh thing to hate right ironically they would have to show up for us to have the global government (laughs) yeah for us to to make that tribe we need the the opposite of the thing i got you and if humans are the only thing out there we are always only going to fight with humans man yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's do another one of these. Does that sound good? Oh, yeah, buddy. All right. This has been fun, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. We talked for a good two hours here, dude. Crushed. We blew past the two-hour mark. Yeah, doing well. My, my computer's on low battery, so it's good. Thanks again. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, for uh, for Alex and for me, that's uh, that's the Unnecessary Podcast. We're going to... We're going to close it out with some some Gay Frogs, the Alex Jones remix on YouTube because it's like my fucking favorite thing in the world. So here we go. Thanks, Alex. Take care, everybody. Thanks, AJ. Frogs!